0: morning it's good to see you this morning turn with me to romans chapter 4 romans chapter 4 we'll be looking at verses 9 through 12 today as we've been walking through this paul has been talking about justification by faith Uh, he started talking about that after he tore down all the arguments uh, that the jews had and the gentiles have uh, as to why particularly the jews why god should accept them uh, because of who they are and because God had called them as a particular people uh, uh, out of um, the life of Abraham. And so we, we want to look through this. And uh, Paul destroyed all those arguments and then he started talking about justification by faith, the latter part of chapter 3. And now he has begun using Abraham as an example uh, of someone who is justified by faith, not by any kind of works of his own. And so as we look at this, I want us to, uh, uh, to think about our own lives and how is it that we are believers in Jesus Christ. It is because we have been justified by God through the blood of Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone. And Paul has been adamant about this one thing. There's no other means to eternal life. Absolutely none. I mean, he has just been hammering that, and he's still doing it. He's still letting us know there's no other means. You know, the most important question that any of us can ever answer in our lives is how can I be right with God? What allows me to stand before God without fear of condemnation? The last time we were together, we were looking at Romans 4, and we were looking in detail on verses 4 through 8. Uh, We were looking in detail on the truth of imputation. That is, in God's mercy, He does not count against us our sins, and He credits uh, the righteousness of Christ to us, and all that happens through faith. He imputes to us, uh, charges to our account the righteousness of Christ and charges to Christ's account our sin. So he imputes something to us and he withholds imputation to us because y'all know what we deserve, right? We deserve the imputed sin. We deserve the sin that we have done. He does not charge us with that. Hallelujah, isn't that great? He doesn't charge us with our sin. Instead, he delivers us and puts to our account Christ's righteousness. We looked at that last week, and we knew it was about imputation because of how many times he uses that word count, a banking term. I mean, over and over again, he speaks of that. And he spoke of Abraham and how Abraham was uh, counted as righteous because he believed God. So justification by faith. And then he pointed to also David. And David uh, spoke of, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his Sin. Why? Because of faith. He's blessed. He doesn't deserve that. He's blessed. So today I want us to look at verses 9 through 13, or 9 through 12, I'm sorry. And I want you to notice that really the thought of imputation, the imputed righteousness, Christ's righteousness imputed to us is not out of the picture here. He's still talking about that, very much so. You see in verse 9, that for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. He's, he's uh, uh, repeating the quote that he's already repeated, that he's already said, uh, which is uh, Genesis fifteen six. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there it's still there. The next verse, how then was it counted to him? That banking term again, that deposit going in. And then in verse 11, it says, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Them being Gentiles. Any Gentiles in the room today? Yeah, okay, I'll love you, all right? Unless, unless I don't know something about you, uh, you're, you're all Gentiles. We're all Gentiles, okay? None of us are Jews. And so to some of us, this wouldn't make sense. It's kind of like, well, of course it's to us. But back in Paul's day, that was not an automatic. It wasn't automatically thought That salvation belonged to the Gentiles as well. In fact, Jews very much thought that salvation was from the Jews. That's true. Jesus even said that. But salvation doesn't belong only to the Jews. And that's what Paul is driving home. And the whole of the argument is not merely to encourage us Gentiles that we can be saved, but it's also to clear up false teaching that was going on in the early church from what were called Judaizers. So I want us to look and understand today the things that God is teaching to us as He talks about uh, whether the circumcised or uncircumcised can receive salvation. His argument is yes, both can. So in verse 9, I want us to see this, but I, he's asking a question Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? That's the question. Of passage. Is it for Gentiles or only for Jews? This blessing that David speaks of whose lawless deeds are forgiven through justification by faith. Is that just for the Jews or is it just for the Gentiles? Does one have to be a Jew to be justified? That's my first point. My second point is this. We'll be looking at the timing of Abraham's justification as a means of qualifying that salvation is for Gentiles also. And then lastly, we'll be looking at the purpose of Abraham's. Circumcision. Why did God bring this to be? So first thing, does one have to be a Jew to be justified? Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. This is our argument It's by faith. But some would argue differently. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, it says this, speaking of the covenant of circumcision. This is when it was instituted. And it says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my Covenant. <laughs> so the Jews have this in their mind. Without circumcision, we can't be part of the people. Uh, we've broken the covenant of God. Y'all see the collision that's going on in the minds of the Jews and the teaching that Paul is delivering? There is a collision happening because these people have in their mind this is necessary to be saved. Circumcision is necessary to be saved. And Paul's saying, no, it's not. And he's arguing it from very clear places. And so he's going to Make sure that the people know he wants to get rid of the false teaching. I want you to know that Paul dealt with this question or this false teaching throughout his ministry. Jews who believed Jesus was indeed the Messiah also believed salvation. Being from the Jews demanded conversion to Judaism by taking on the sign of the covenant. Paul called these Judaizers. In Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 15, we see some glimpses of this. Actually, it's just straightforward that this false teaching was going on. You may remember that Paul, um, Paul and Barnabas returned uh, to Antioch, and they came back and they were rejoicing because so many people had trusted in Christ. Uh, Gentiles, many Gentiles had come to know Jesus Christ. And they were rejoicing in that. Uh, they declared that God had done what, what he had done with them. And how he had opened the door uh, of faith to the Gentiles. And we were excited about that. But we went out preaching this gospel and Gentiles believed it. And were saved. In chapter 15, we see something that some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's straightforward right there. That is straightforward. You can believe in Jesus Christ, but if you do not submit yourself to circumcision, you cannot be saved. Straightforward. That is the false teaching that Paul was up against constantly throughout his ministry. And so uh, this upset them terribly, so Paul began to talk with them and debate with them about that. And it was there that he would build the foundations of his argument that he's delivering here in this text. Paul is letting us know who you are, where you came from, what your nationality is, whether you're male or whether you're female, whether you're Scythian or whether you're free or, or uh, slave or free, whether you're Scythian or barbarian doesn't matter. Justification by faith is for all kinds of people for all kinds of people. So this question gets asked, is it only for the circumcised, the Jew, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? And then he quotes Genesis fifteen six again, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. He brings that argument in. The importance of Paul's argument is just as relevant to us today. We need to understand that what he is telling the people there, the Jews and the Gentiles alike, is he's making it clear That the gospel is not limited to a particular people. But it's for all kinds of people. He's saying justification is for everyone. Why would anybody think otherwise? Well, people do think that way today. And we do because of our own predispositions. There are all sorts of people that are ready to say as Christians... Oh, Christ saves, but it's Christ plus water baptism. you got to do this. If you don't do this, then it doesn't matter if you've trusted Christ if you're not baptized. Christ plus something. That's the way we do it: Christ plus water baptism, or Christ plus some extraordinary experience of the Holy Spirit, so that you do miraculous deeds or speak in tongues. I had a conversation about that not long ago. Somebody was asking me, "What, what's the deal with with this?" He's, charismatics and speaking in tongues. I said, well, there's some belief that if you don't speak in tongues, that you're not saved. Really? Yeah. Why would I want that as something that is giving me assurance? Because that can be counterfeited very easily. I mean, anybody can come up with a string of some kind of gibberish to throw out there. I've seen it done all the time. Y'all hear it from this pulpit on a regular basis. What is he talking about, you know? Fortunately, the Spirit gives interpretation, right? Right? Don't speak in tongues. You gotta have that in order to be saved. I thought you just had to believe in Christ. Oh, you do. But you also have to do this. Maybe it's Christ plus some mystic experience at the Lord's Supper table. Y'all know what I'm talking about there. Y'all had not been to a Catholic church then, have you? Experienced something called transubstantiation. Use that in a sentence this week, okay? I went with my dad and stepmother many years ago to a Christmas Eve mass. I'd never been to anything like that before. I figured God will forgive me. I want to know what's going on here. It was late at night, and I don't think I was hallucinating when the priest comes walking down in all these robes and everything and all these other people, and they're carrying stuff, and they're shaking stuff, and they got this thing, and they're swinging it, and it's got some incense in it, and it don't smell all that great, but they're having a big time doing it. you know. Uh, This is their smoke machine, I guess. I don't know, but, man, they're going through there, and they're having a big time, all right? And then then at some point, there's a bell. Man, that bread and that wine just turned into blood and body. Believe in Christ, but you need to take this. Believe in Christ, but you need to be a member of this church. Believe in Christ, but you need to do this ritual. Believe in Christ, but you need this picture of Jesus hanging on your wall at home. We are experts at adding things to justification by faith. And when you add anything to justification by faith, you no longer have justification. There is no salvation in Christ plus anything but Christ is fully sufficient so this isn't some irrelevant passage to us there's great assurance in this do you all hear it I've put all my hope in Jesus The Bible says He'll take away all my sin. The Bible says He'll give me eternal life. The Bible says He will come and dwell in me. Isn't it great that my assurance isn't dependent upon my consistent practice of something outside of me and outside of the gospel? It's Not contingent upon that. main thing Paul is wanting to emphasize in this passage is that it's Christ and it's faith in him and there's absolutely nothing else how are you going to assure your friends of salvation your saved friends of salvation If you tell them, trust Christ, but carry this cross in your pocket. That won't work for me. Because anything I carry in my pockets, I usually lose. And now I have no hope. I usually am not consistent enough. to do anything except trust Christ. I'm glad it's just that. Justified, declared righteous by grace through faith in him alone. So Paul is letting them know, look, he was counted righteous by faith. But your question is this, is this blessing then only for the Jew or also for the circumcised? He hadn't completely answered that question yet. So he runs to the timing of Abraham's justification. Look in verse 10, how then or when then was it counted to him? When was what counted to him? When was righteousness counted to him? By faith. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Was it before or after he received in his body the sign of the covenant? That God declared Abraham righteous. Was it before or after? It was before. Some 14 years before he received circumcision. Jewish tradition says 29 years. Doesn't matter which one of those is right. The scriptures verify that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness more than 10 years before he knew anything about the sign of a covenant. Paul saying the very timing of Abraham's experience of justification proves that justification is both for the circumcised and the uncircumcised, because when he was declared righteous, he was uncircumcised. That covenant had not come into being. If justification, as Paul's Jewish opponents say, is only for the Jews... How could it be that the uncircumcised Abraham could have been justified 29 years before he was circumcised? Because it was by faith. It's important for us to understand that circumcision is not merely an ethnic mark. It wasn't just for people who were blood Jews. It wasn't just a national mark. It wasn't just a non religious or sort of a secular national sign that you're part of Israel. It was a spiritual sign. In Exodus chapter 17. Look with me there. Exodus chapter 17. I'm sorry, Genesis. No, Exodus, I'm right. I put my mark in the wrong place. I'm kind of like, that's not right. Okay, y'all just go on and forgive me now because it is Genesis chapter 17. I wrote in my notes that it was Exodus chapter 17. Y'all are used to these things. You ought to enjoy this, okay? Um, Genesis chapter 17, look at verses 12 through 13. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money Shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Not only was Abraham not circumcised, but when it came to be, God said that it's not just those who are of Israel, it's those who've been bought from a foreigner. It could be somebody from a completely different nation. And when you bring them into your household, you put the sign of the covenant on them. Those would have been Gentiles. He's proving the point that it's not just Jews. Abraham, the father of the Jews, wasn't a Jew. Until after he had been declared righteous by God. It's not just people who are from the clean, pure bloodline of Abraham that are given this sign. Everybody in his tent, foreigner or not, is to be given this sign. So what Paul is communicating as he's letting us know, I, I, I want you to see something. That the timing of this helps us to see it's not just about being a Jew. You can't add anything to Jesus Christ on the basis of Abraham. Because the gospel has always been intended to redeem everyone who believes. And lastly, I want us to look at the purpose. He gives purpose behind why Abraham was redeemed, was justified, received God's favor, and then received the sign of the covenant. Why is that? Why did he do it that way? God had intent according to what Paul has to say here. Look at verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal Of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. What's the purpose of Abraham's circumcision? Let me give you a couple of things. First of all, it says there, he received the sign. It's a sign. What do signs do? Signs point to something. All right? Signs point to something. It was a sign, he said. He received the sign as a seal of righteousness. It's pointing to righteousness. It points to justification by faith. God has ordained circumcision and ordained circumcision as a spiritual symbol. What's it a symbol of? It's an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. That's why it's on the back end. Last week we took the Lord's Supper. And I said something before we took the Lord's Supper. I pointed to that the table... Is for those who have believed in Christ and have been baptized. One precedes the other. Paul is saying this, I, I want us to, to recognize something that the spiritual inward reality always takes place before the sign of that reality, an outward sign. One didn't take place before the other. Circumcision before righteousness. But the other way around. And so Paul is helping them see through the life of Abraham and particularly saying this was a sign That's an argument in and of itself against circumcision actually saving anyone. Does a sign actually get you to the place that you're going? No. No, it doesn't. Y'all know the thrill for me of driving in cities I don't like it. And so I'm always kind of aware of where I am when I'm on a highway or somewhere. I know what I'm looking for, and I know where I'm going, and I'm looking for the signs that says what my destination is. If that's Frisco, we're going to see a granddaughter up there, you know, uh, Piper. Oh, our son's up there too. But, I mean, we're going up there, and we're driving to Frisco to see, see, see Piper, And I want you to know, I am looking for the signs that get me off the madhouse chaos that is called Dallas Tollway North. Where is it? Y'all have no idea how important of a decision that is and how important those signs are because they give me hope that I am not going to break into road rage at some point. But every time I see a sign that has the exit number, and it's still ten exit numbers away from the exit number that I need, it gives me hope. But I'm still not there. It has the name on it and the number on it that, I want, that I'm looking for. Exit. it's not the right one yet, but that sign keeps telling me it's getting closer. A sign points to something, but because the sign is there doesn't mean the reality is there. But not only is it a sign, it's a seal. Look what he says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. It's a seal, a mark, and it confirms the reality. Once the mark is there, it confirms the reality. But also, it's a seal saying something. Uh, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had. He was righteous. It's a, a, a confirmation. It's a mark. It's a stamp. It's something that says, this is certifiable. the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It was confirmation to Abraham that God had already justified him through faith. Some 14, 29 years later, God says, hey, Abraham, this is the sign of my covenant. What covenant is that? You remember 14 years ago? You remember 29 years ago? Whichever one that is. When I made you a promise and you believed me, yeah. This sign, this seal is for you to know that I loved you then and I love you now and there is nothing that can separate you from my love. And there is nothing that is going to cause me to go back on the promise that I have made. And trust me, Abraham is about to do some things after receiving the sign of the covenant that are appalling. And God did not break his Lastly, I want to see there the last part of 11 and on into 12. The purpose, the purpose of this sign, the purpose of receiving this, the purpose of you being able to know that God has made this covenant and He's not changing it. The purpose was to make Him, of all this, of the timing and everything of what happened with the the sign, to make Him the Father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about you and me there. This was so he would be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I like that he included that. To walk in the footsteps of the faith. In other words, what he's saying, both Jew and Gentile, can be justified. And in being justified, they walk a certain way. That term, circumcision, to cut away, to be separate, to stand apart. God sets us apart for his own purposes and his own will. And he calls us to walk in the footsteps of faith. Walk. I, I love that I've been saved. I know you love that too. We're encouraged by the assurance that flows through this the assurance of salvation by grace through faith alone. We have great assurance in that. But I want you to know being justified also means that we walk according to the faith through which we have been saved. We continue in his way. We're called for his purposes. We're set apart to be his children and to stand out as lights in a place that's incredibly dark. <coughs> Abraham. He's the father of both Gentiles and Jews. He's the father of all who are justified by faith. I'm sure you have friends, perhaps family, and they would say to you, well, yeah, I know I'm saved. You know, I I prayed a prayer and I was baptized and I'm a member of a church over there. It's another one of those things. Jesus plus church membership. Jesus plus walking down an aisle. Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that. And there is no place when we get to heaven where we're going to be asked a question, why should I let you into my heaven? If we're asked that question, what would you say? And, And I don't think anybody He's going to say, well, you know what? Jesus died on the cross to take away my sin and give me eternal life. And whoever's asking that question is going to go, and you're going to go, plus, no. Here's the beauty of it. The beauty of that is that we can walk freely in Christ Jesus. We can walk in him and walk according to his spirit and walk according to the word. Not to gain something. But because we have already received something. And that is salvation. Salvation justification by faith alone in christ alone to the glory of god alone and that's why you walk in the faith to the glory alone let that be the tenor of your life let's pray father we want to thank you for your word and the words lord that you have given to us so that lord uh, we can know you as Father through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family. And, Lord, we want to walk and live like children. We thank you and praise you. And We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.